Hello and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Hayley Chewins, I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager, I write books about growing up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. Okay, Lindsay, I wanted to ask you about point of view. So how do you decide which point of view to choose? How do you decide whose story the story is? And then I know you often work with dual POVs or multiple. Have you done multiple or is it just dual? I haven't done multiple yet. Okay. So yeah. you're, you've got things in the works that are multiple. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So then how do you like, how do you balance having different points of view? So, I'm sorry to say, I think the point of view question for me is very instinctive. <laughs> Again, like, uh, and, and partly I feel like because this is all our answers, like, oh, I just intuitively decide. Like, I thanks, know. guys. I know. I'm trying, but I'm going to try to break it down, which is, um, first of all, like, I, so far, I write middle grade and I do write YA, but that's not out yet. So we're going to just not pretend, we're going to pretend like that's not relevant because it isn't. Um, middle grade is going to be about my middle grade aged character. So that becomes really easy as far as like, who's it going to be about? Um, and even more so with race to the bottom of the sea and Bigfoot files, because there's literally one child. Um, now it's not a hard and fast rule that all middle grade fiction must be featuring a child. That's a silly rule. And if anybody, I mean, maybe like 90% of middle grade books are about a middle grade aged child, um, but there are certainly rule breakers and for good reason, because you do not have to have it. I just want to make sure everybody knows I am not saying you must have a child be the main character. No, 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 no. Write a middle grade book with all adults. Do it. I will read it and I will love it. Um, and actually like, Race to the Bottom of the Sea and the Bigfoot Files don't really have a lot of other kids in them. They just don't. Right. Race does not, like literally does not. It's one child and a million adults and they all have a lot of story. So mm -hmm. anyway, that was a huge tangent, but I feel like it's important. Um, I don't know, like, how do you decide whose story it is? Well, whose story is it? Then write it from their point of view. Um, okay but what I mean is like um so like how do you decide whether to write it in first person or oh, third okay. person, like a close third person mm -hmm. or a more like distant third person or an omniscient like that yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah okay yes I can talk about that um so Hour of the Bees was in first person present and the reason why it's started that way was because that's how I heard it at first. Um, right. when I sat down to write it, that was how the first chapter came out. And I stuck with that throughout the entire, um, book. It's a contemporary fantasy. And so something about the first person present to me feels very contemporary. I also liked how it feels. I feel like first person present, sometimes feels like the way that we tell stories to each other where we mm. we sometimes slip into the present even though we're telling something that already happened like where right, we say yeah. like and then I go up to the counter and I say how dare you not process this return or whatever <laughs> um 
that would never happen. Sounds like a gripping story. Sounds like a terrible person. Um, (laughs) Anyway, but like we slip into that and I like it, but it also feels, I like the immediacy of describing mundane things with that sense of wonder with first person present. I feel like my instinct would not be to write a big, huge, complex magic something in first person present personally, because I, I like, again, I like to infuse the mundanity of the contemporary parts of contemporary fantasy with that kind of sense of wonder and immediacy that you can get with first person present. So I wrote it that way and no one else had a problem with it. So it stayed that way. Um, basically, although that book does have a dual point of view in which, um, which is sent set in first person past. Um, and I liked it. And that was because, so that's the, the, the storyline about the tree and the village and the lake. Um, and that had, a, I chose that because it had an almost fairy tale esque quality to like using the past tense feels very fairy tale esque very once upon a time there was a tree um and and you know choosing point of view i think is not just about choosing who it's going to be and choosing what tense you're going to use but also the scope um mm. and the attachment or detachment that you the writer has and that's something that i um have been thinking about a lot in more recent projects was is the scope and the attachment or detachment or or how much time has passed since the the story has happened and the narration is happening um so like how much perspective the narrator has whether the narrator is actually you know if it's in first person then it is a character in your book but but if it's just a a third person narrator they still have a, a relationship with the story that um, you kind of need to think about. So just, you know, Hour of the Bees, the um, the storylines that are first person present, <clears throat> the scope is very much here and now. We are right here. We're in Carolina's head. Um, we're, we're with her thoughts as they come up. She doesn't have a whole lot of ruminating that she does beyond just what is happening now. But then when you go to the the dual POV, it's much more detached. It's much more zoomed out in scope. It's much more fairy tale esque. Um, and again, that's all by design. Cause if you read the book, like, yes, that's necessary for the story. Um, race to the bottom of the sea also has dual POVs. It's got Fidelia and it has Merrick, but it's told in third person. Um, and Merrick just has uh, like his storylines are all, um, things that have already happened like a while ago. And so they do have a more detached presence on the page. Um, and third and, and Bigfoot files is also in third person. Um, and so is, well, I'll get to that in a second. Those are both in third person, which to me feels, I love third person and I love third person in middle grade. It feels so much like someone telling me a story to have third person in a middle grade. It feels very classic. It feels very Dickensian in this very, like, it makes me feel like a little kid sitting around a fire while somebody's reading me a story or telling me a story. So I love it. It's hard. It's really hard to do well, I think. Um, 
uh, because it doesn't have the immediacy that first person does often. And so you have to compensate for that with other things. Um, but I will say my most interesting POV war story that I can tell as a writer came with the Bigfoot files. The first draft I wrote was in third person. The main character is Miranda. That first draft, there wasn't um, like a dual POV with like flashbacks of her memories kind of like, cause there is kind of like this split timeline. Um, so it was all Miranda. It was third person. And when I turned it into my editor, she said, great, love it. I do not feel a connection with Miranda. And I feel like she's sort of quote unlikable and she, not because, uh, not because of her behavior, because my editor and I have had a lot of conversations about using that word, especially with girl characters, um, that it is a whole, a whole can that we could open. Um, but she just mainly was like, I feel like I don't know her. Like, I just feel like I want to relate to her, but she's so closed off. Like, I just can't get in to know her. Um, and that was really tricky because Miranda has pretty severe anxiety. She has some very big like control issues and so much about her story in that book is about her conceding some of those control issues and like letting go and opening up, opening up. So it's really hard to write a person in third person, a person in third person with such boundaries and who's so closed off without them feeling completely unreachable to the reader. Um, so that was hard. So what I ended up doing was I wrote the whole next draft in first person, um, just to try it out. And it let me see into Miranda's head in a way that I really needed to do. Um, and then I ended up going back to third person because I knew I wanted it to be in third person, but just having done the switcheroo into first person for a draft or two really, opened her up to me as a writer in a way that like, I just didn't realize what I was missing out to be able to describe things that were in her head. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work, but well, you yeah. know, books, but it all enriches. That's also so what's so interesting about doing different drafts is that you throw them out, but they, they all enrich the final yep. product. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's just a little passage that you get, it sucks mm -hmm. when you have to throw it out. Um, mm -hmm. It does suck, but like, you can't think about that or else you'll go crazy. Like writing novels is not about optimization. No, it's not an efficient, well, for me no. anyway, it's not. No. An well, and if it's, if that's what we needed, then the whole world would be then we'd, we'd operate on AI written novels and sort of these like ghostwriting book bank, like everything formulaic. That's what we would be yeah. doing. So yeah. Don't worry about optimization. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and so have you ever had a problem balancing two points of view like have you ever had your editor say well we have too much of this and we need to bulk this side up or is that also something that you kind of play by ear and just it feels like I need a switch now it feels like a good moment to to change it up yeah so so hour of the bees was always going to be a dual pov structured book that was always the structure that um that the, the story needed to have. 
Race to the Bottom of the Sea was never going to be a dual POV structured book. Not until way late in the revision game did I add in uh, all of this backstory with Merrick. Um, Mm. I just thought, I just didn't understand how it would be relevant to the story. And so I never, I, I tried to just like, seep that information in here and there and then um my editor I think was the one who suggested that I just try it and at first I was so resistant I was like oh no mostly because a I didn't think there was enough story there I was like there's nothing there like I don't want to add this whole other storyline like I don't even know what I would write about um beyond like a few key scenes that I have already referenced like I don't I don't want to and I don't want to add more I don't want to like had the other point of view storyline in the book just to have enough. Um, and more on that in a second. But the other reason was I was very worried about repeating a structure that I had already done um, it, for fear that the world would brand me and pigeonhole me as being the dual POV person. Uh, and it's funny because Bigfoot has two POVs and um, patron thief of bread has two, two POVs. And then my next book after that has definitely lots of POVs. So like, I am the dual POV. That's fine. That's my thing, I guess. Mm. What's well, so interesting about yeah. patron saint of bread is that I've, I, I almost don't think of it as dual. I mean, it is, it does it have is. two perspectives, but it's almost like the bulk of the book is this one perspective. Yes. And then you get these little beautiful sprinkled in chapters almost like from another character that gives you that beautiful zoom out feeling. Yes. Um, And that's exactly what I wanted to say about feeling like you have to pad one POV or if there's, you know, more of one than of the other, my Mm. editor and I very much have this understanding that, um, if the story, if there isn't enough story there for two point of views, who cares? Have one be 80% of the book and have the other one be 20% of the book. If that works yeah. for you. Yeah, so, it doesn't have to be 50-50. No, it does not have to be 50-50. It certainly should not be 50-50 if you're trying to make it 50-50 just so that it is 50-50. Um, yeah, because then people just skip the boring chapters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, yeah. Or worse, they love the boring chapters that you put in as padding. And the the main <laughs> part that you're hoping people will love is the boring part now. Like you just, right. you yeah. know, um, and, and stories can grow. Like, again, I was really surprised when I finally sat down to write Merrick's point of view chapters. I was like, oh, there is a lot here. Like there's more here than I thought that there would be. Um, but really, I think he only has five or four four or five compared to Mm. all of Fidelia's chapters. Like that's not a lot. And they're all just like memories, like things that have already happened. That's it. And they're not, I don't know, like the, like the book could for sure work without him. Same with the patron thief of bread, all of the secondary, you know, whatever, like action storyline is from the POV of a gargoyle. And if you took him out of the book, the book would still function on its own and it would be great. And yes, it would be, it would, it would be also... a, a different book, but I just, yeah, I just don't worry about padding it out to make it 50, 50. There's no rules. Like you're allowed to structure it however you want. 
Yeah, I think that's such a good point. That's such a good point. Um, I was going to say, though, I can't imagine race without Merrick's chapters. And I can't. And if people want to hear more about that, they need to go listen to your episode, A Story of the Book, your full episode about Race to the Bottom of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, you tell the whole story and it's wonderful. Yeah. But, yeah, I just can't imagine that book without it. And I can't imagine Gargoyle book, um, yeah. The Patron Thief of Bread, without the Gargoyle. I mean, it's literally you called it Gargoyle book. For I did. months, for years, for years, because. I called it gargoyle book, and yet because the it gargoyle, was the gargoyle book, <laughs> it was. But it's funny because like the gargoyle always was like a smaller amount in the book mm. than the rest of of the characters. So, but it's such a key image yeah. in the book. It it adds. I was gonna say maybe it doesn't carry the plot of the book, but it adds this essential something to the atmosphere and the tone yeah. of the book. And, and the I think theme, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, and the theme, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the same with Race to the Bottom of the Sea is that Merrick's chapters kind of carry the theme in a way. Yeah, yep, I agree. I know, isn't it funny how that works? Like, yeah, I was so worried while I was writing those chapters that nobody else would think they were interesting but me. And yeah, they they just, if you pretend like you meant to do it all along, people will believe you. <laughs> <laughs> And they'll read it like it was supposed to be there from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why these conversations are so interesting. I think um, I love, that's why I love listening to writing related podcasts, listening to writers talk about how they wrote their books, because when you read a book, it's very tempting to think, well, this person is just a genius and this just flopped out of it. This book just fell out of their head like this. Yeah. And of course, some things do fall out of your head, but a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it takes, you know work and time and finessing and feedback and back and forth and revisions and years of thinking about it and not thinking about it and yeah you know and a gamble and just like yeah yeah I guess I better try this because pub date's coming up and it's time to just like make a choice and just try it out and you try it differently next time yes exactly I think so much of writing is just going like what if I did this? Maybe yeah. I could try that. And it's like this very gentle voice going, maybe, maybe I could do that. Maybe yeah. That would work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just think, yeah, you are the master of your own book, whether you feel like it or not, you are. And that mm. means you get to decide um, mm-hmm. not only the rules for like within your story, but also the rules for how your book is going to be presented so structure wise you know like Mm -hmm. it is you do not have to trade off pov chapters every other chapter you do not have to have it be every three chapters and have it be consistent you can do it however you want and you can do it by feel and you can do it by i don't know there's just no wrong way um yeah there's no wrong way to do it and i also think one of the things so i just want to say two quick things about pov Um, that I found helpful. And one of them is I once, I don't know who said this, but I heard someone say, if it's the book, if, if you can hear like a really strong voice in your mind for the narrator, then you should write it in first person. Whereas if the first person doesn't have like the strong energetic voice, then rather just write it in third because that will have a different tone. Cause I think that a first person voice 
often does have something idiosyncratic or interesting about it if it's just very plain and again there are always exceptions yeah but uh there's usually there has to be I guess maybe what I would say is there has to be a sense of personality with a first person voice that a third person voice doesn't always have to have See, I feel the opposite. Isn't that funny? Really? Well, no. Well, I mean, I agree with like a first person. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe I do, or maybe I just don't think it's as cut as dry, cut and dry as that. Because I like, I like my narrators, my third person narrators, to have, if not a personality, some sort of sense of authority. Um, and that is my love for Dickensian literature and, you know, um, 19th century literature where Mm -hmm. it really does feel like the narrators of those books come in, take you by the hand and are like, come on, I'm going to tell you a story and you trust them. And you just are like, I know, like they know where they're going. I'm going to follow them. And I love that feeling. Um, I love, I love feeling like feeling like words and sentences and turns of phrase have been chosen specifically for me, the reader from some third person narrator, um, to convey the story. And, and I don't always, I mean, I, you would think like, well, the same thing is true for like a, a first person then, except it's just the character. But I feel like mm. because of the immediacy of first person, I feel like sometimes you don't have to have as strong a voice for the narrator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe that's interesting well yeah I don't know I don't know yeah that's I guess because I'm just I'm defensive of third person because I do feel no, like yeah I, I don't know like I feel like um when it's done really well it there's just nothing like it it's just so exactly and it is really <sighs> hard to get right it's very hard to get it right it is and it's yeah. um and it's weird too because sometimes like third person narrator it's not you the author no always it's like but sometimes it's it is narrated it's like it's sometimes it is but sometimes well I like I feel like I've never actually thought about that but I don't right? I don't think I think of it as me I think I think of it as the narrator who is not me yeah but I'm like channeling in a way to use a really like weird term but I'm yeah I'm like the conduit for the narrator Right. But then like, who is the narrator? Like, does that, and, uh, and it's funny how like, it doesn't matter. Like you can, it doesn't yeah. have to matter, but that, but it is a someone, but it's it a someone. Like it's a someone. Yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. the narrator in race to the bottom of the sea is me, is me. The author mm. is me. Cause that feels like mm-hmm. such a personal story, but patron thief of bread is some other, some narrator. I don't know. Mm. Like some, some 19th century narrator. I don't know. Yeah, it's a medieval cool. book. It's not set in the 19th century, but I for yeah. sure drew. It has that tone. Uh, yeah, I drew upon that um, Oliver Twist yes, tone yeah. and storyline by accident. I think maybe <laughs> there was a point where I was like, "This is basically Oliver Twist." Just like with the Bigfoot Files, there was a point where I was like, "This is basically a goofy movie," which happens. <laughs> you know, you don't mean to, but that's. Um, I don't know. Those are my POV thoughts, which is. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Right. Well, also, so just the the other thing I wanted to say is I if I get stuck with POV, like if I think, oh, I don't know if this should be first person, third person, omniscient, whatever, I just tried and I tried different paragraphs in different 
POVs and I just see what feels interesting or right or yeah and I, th- I feel like yeah I'm just always looking for that like feeling of something clicking and yeah. until I get there I just throw stuff at the wall until I get it yeah yeah clicking <laughs> and also unlocking um because yeah. different different points of view that you choose can and should unlock different aspects of the character the story just like when yeah. I rewrote Bigfoot files and it unlocked a bunch of stuff um, yeah. And that doesn't mean you have to stick with it. It can just mm-hmm. be an exercise that you do to mm-hmm. see like what else is in there. Um, yeah. But it is, it's interesting. Like very, I feel like very few elements of writing craft make a story as malleable as changing points of view. Yeah. It changes everything, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it, it does. And it everything. doesn't feel like it should, like it should be but it but it it does and it can Mm. it's Mm. interesting yeah thank you so much for listening to story of the book if you like this episode please share it with a friend or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts until next time stay safe and keep writing bye Bye. (laughs)